It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? What do we want to talk about with the Raiders? So I want to see an interception. I want to see some back. Third down and five on the 25. Wilson back to pass. Crosby in his face. Grabs Wilson around the shoulders and swings him down at the 34. Crosby with his second sack of the game. And the Raiders defense gets a stop. And then your boy JT got it right. JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. I don't spend a lot of time on teams that don't make the playoffs. We talk about what matters in championships and winning here. It's Big Boy Radio. You know, playing fast has always been fun for me, and I enjoy it when it's time, and there's a time and a place for it. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT here, Monday, the aftermath on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio. You can hear us on the mobile app, and we appreciate everybody who listens all over the country. I hope you had a great Christmas. Hope it was fantastic. I had a beautiful Christmas. It was a fantastic day. No tweeting, no social media, just family, great food, and a good time. And how about the weather? How about the weather all over the country? There's a lot of people that can't get back to Vegas. I got friends who were supposed to come back yesterday and today, and they can't get a flight till Friday. They can't get a flight till Thursday. People all over the country shut down, can't get rebooked, can't get back to their homes. We're thinking of all those people from Buffalo, not too far from where I went to college, one of the top three snowstorms of all time, to everybody in the Midwest, and for the Raider fans who traveled to Pittsburgh to go see that game on Christmas Eve. We hope you get home safe as we have a big week of radio lined up. You know, the aftermath, we call it the aftermath win or lose. On Monday, we take a look back at the most recent game, and we dissect it. We talk about it before we move on to the upcoming opponent, which is the San Francisco 49ers on New Year's Day coming up here. This one's going to be a little bit different because it feels like there's a lot of closure here. There's injuries. Uh, The Raiders, everything that could go right for the Raiders, which is, I told you all week, Miami losing. I had that right. Green Bay winning. Everything that could go right happened for the Raiders. New England, Jets, Miami, all lose. Raiders beat the Steelers. Then they're one game back, and they move past all those teams. You know that in the hunt photo you see? In the hunt would have had the Raiders first on the outside looking in with an opportunity to make it to the playoffs because Tennessee and Jacksonville, they're imploding as we speak. So a lot of good things happened, but the fact is the Raiders blew a golden opportunity, lost to the Steelers 13-10. to on Christmas Eve, and it was another devastating gut punch to this season, a season like I've never seen before. I've seen worse teams, many worse teams than this team in Raider history in my 24 years with the team, but I haven't seen a team that loses the way the Raiders lose. And again, I don't blame people. I just run the radio show. I I have no rules, no rules on the show other than one. Don't make it personal. You can call in on whatever you want to call in on, Just don't make it personal. Don't make it personal. But you can be critical of the coach. You can be critical of the quarterback. You can be critical of the defense, whatever you want. You know the show. If you've been listening for 20 minutes or 20 years, you know how to run the show. And we think we're really, really intense and really honest, even though some people can hear that. They just won't hear it because they think, you know, JT works for the team. He's on the flagship. He's not going to say certain things. I think we say everything especially this year. This might have been my most vocal season of my life with the Raiders because I got to interview the coach. I talk to you. I do the round table. We do a whole bunch of things, and we have to fill time all week on the radio. And this year, there are people, really, let me pull back the curtain. There are people in major markets in radio who love this. 
They want chaos. They want chaos. They want the team to lose. It's better for ratings, and it is. In local radio, I mean, look at New York. New York's the number one media market. When was the last time the Jets were good or the Giants were good? You got to go back to Eli Manning. And what happens is they talk about misery every day. Boston and Philly are the kings of it. Miserable, miserable radio every day. I mean, the guys on the radio are just miserable most of the time. They, they wake up in the morning and they're negative. They go outside, they smoke a heater, they come back in, they're screaming, they're negative. They go on the radio and that's their shows and people are accustomed to that back east. I'm from back east, but I've lived out west more than I've lived my entire life back east. And there are days I like to be super positive and, and be really happy about what's happening and there's days that really get to me. And there's days that really get to me. And now I'm at a point where I'm numb after what happened after that loss. I am actually numb about what happened on Christmas Eve. I'm numb. It took me a couple of days to really get over it, even though I had a great Christmas with my family, and we had a good time. You know, it was very surreal, weird, whatever word you want to use. No one knows. Even I don't even know what surreal means, but I just said it. After the post-game show, I got home at 11 at night on Christmas Eve, and we were going to Midnight Mass at Bishop Gorman. They have a beautiful church, Holy Spirit. It's unbelievable. Brand new. And, you know, we go to church there and we went to midnight mass and we got there early because we got to get seats. So we got there about 1120 p.m., my two sons and my wife. And I was sitting there and I'm looking at my wife and literally 40 minutes earlier or maybe 50 minutes earlier, I was taking calls. And I'm sitting in this pew in church and I'm just sitting there going, just taking a deep breath. And I realize right there what's more important in life to everybody, faith, the ability to be with your family, to be healthy to have good things. But I'm telling you, I was numb. And we came home and we got home around 1.30 in the morning and came home and my dog's waiting for us in there. And we don't open presents on Christmas Eve. We open them on Christmas. And we were up for a little bit and I had a beverage and I went to bed around 2.30 in the morning and I woke up and it was Christmas morning. I don't tweet on Christmas, not that anybody cares. And I put the phone away and I watched football and I was kind of coming out of the numbness of what happened in Pittsburgh. Because I was numb what happened in Pittsburgh because the Raiders were so much better than the Steelers. It was apparent on the first drive of the game. They're just a better team. And as I got it right all week long, I told you, if weather wasn't in play in regards to wind, it, we knew it was going to be cold. It was going to be freezing. But if, if it was okay and it wasn't going to tear apart the passing game, the Raiders had such an advantage in the passing game with a passing coordinator head coach a nine-year veteran, multiple Pro Bowl, the best receiver in the league, two of the best other players in Waller and Renfro, and the leading running back, the number one running back in the NFL. The numbers were so overwhelming that the Raiders had an advantage on offense. And then they opened up with the first drive of the game. As we get to this one, on the first drive of the game, I think I tweeted out, it was close to perfection. They ate up the clock. They took the crowd out of the game. And they got Renfro going on one of the best throws and catches of the year. An impossible throw by Carr to Renfro, a juke move and a touchdown. Fires towards the sideline. Renfro grabs it. Gets away from a tackle at the five. Dives towards the end zone. Touchdown Raiders. Carter Renfro with a beautiful grab and got away from a defender. Took off to the end zone. And the Raiders take a 6-0 lead with 6.38 to go in the opening quarter. That was absolute perfection. Jason Horowitz, Compass Media, and on all the calls, as you know. So right there, the one thing I said to myself was, holy cow, Carr's throw was not affected by the wind. 
the weather. It was an impossible throw. It literally was. Look at that throw again. Renfro, there's something special about Renfro with those type of catches where the ball missed the defender by a fingernail. How Renfro caught that in that weather and held it and then made the move. And you just look like, for me, I knew it wasn't going to be a route, but I was like, that is just what I said all week. Weather's not an issue. Carr made a great throw. Renfro's involved in the game. And the Raiders are going to bury these guys. They're going to beat them. They're going to beat them by at least double digits because they're the better team. And then what happened after that is that the Raiders stepped off the gas again. And the Raiders did what they have done all year long. They don't play with a killer instinct. They don't put anybody away. They don't take chances. They play relatively conservative. They play historically slow at the line of scrimmage. And that's it. That Right there, right there was the game. Right there was the moment in the game where the Raiders had them dead. They had them dead right there. Or they should have been excited, which they were, and they had the game right there proving to the Steelers, man, this is going to be a long day. This is going to be a long day. The Raiders have come out, and they look incredible on this opening drive. But then I'm going to get to the next highlight, which probably is on my Mount Rushmore, of most aggravated I've been this year. And that's a hell of a Mount Rushmore. It takes a three-day tour guide to get you to the top of my Mount Rushmore being disappointed. The, t- the, the end of the first half, the Raiders were up 7-3 to three with the ball, and they started to get a little bit of rhythm going here because I thought here they wanted to put up some points and get to the point to get going. So the Raiders had first and 10 at their own 25. 149 to go in the game. Carr, short right to Moreau for nine yards. Second and one. Jacobs, left tackle for 10 yards. Now, they ran the ball with 122 to go to pick up the first down. Then, then which I cannot understand what happened here. At that point in time, 122, the clock goes all the way down to 42 seconds. First and 10 at the Vegas 44, so almost midfield. Incomplete to Renfro. And then the next play, as we look at what was happening here, the Raiders were playing for a field goal. That's the point I'm trying to make. They were not playing for a touchdown with 42 seconds to go on their own 44. The next play, second and 10 at the Las Vegas 44, 36 seconds to go, car incomplete to Devontae. Okay, you go to Devontae. Incomplete again on an impossible catch. I'll get to that later. Third and 10, this deep ball to Waller, which we're going to play, was to me the difference in the entire ball game, which I'll get to later. Let's roll the highlight. Shotgun to Derek. Steelers bring a blitz. Raiders pick it up. Settles into the pocket. Fires down the field for Waller. Spinning grab at the 25, and he spun down to the turf at the 23-yard line. Timeout. Timeout on that play. Down to the Pittsburgh 21-yard line for 34 yards. They have two timeouts. They burn one. They burn one, and I said to myself at that moment of the game, you have got to attack the end zone three times. We watched last year first and goal at the nine in Cincinnati. First and goal at the nine, and they didn't attack the end zone. That's how the season ended to the eventual AFC champions. I said they got to throw the ball in the end zone three times for one reason. One reason, just get a flag. That's all I want is a flag. I don't want a touchdown. I want a flag in the end zone, and I want first and goal at the one. I do not want a touchdown. I don't want to get to a touchdown. I want a flag. 
or I want Devontae having three or two 50-50 balls where he can go up and make a play. And what happened after that? So the Raiders at that point in time were like, we're going to play for a field goal. We're playing for a field goal. No debate. They're playing for a field goal, weather, cold, I get it. To go up 13, you know, when you, when you, at that point in time, the Raiders could get 10 or the Raiders could go up by more, right? Can get four more points here. The Raiders could be up 14 to 3. Look at the final score, 13 to 10. So right after that, after that Waller great catch, first and 10 at the 22, incomplete, short left to Devontae. Short left? Short to Devontae? No, no, no. We're not going short to Devontae. We're going in the end zone with Devontae. Second and 10 at the Pittsburgh 22. Incomplete, short to Devontae. What? Just kicked the field goal. Then a timeout, second timeout, no more timeouts left. Incomplete, deep to Waller. They took their shot, and Carlson kicks a 40-yard field goal, which is good. He would have made it from 55. He's so good. They go into halftime. The Raiders are up 10-3, to and they didn't play to, to, to just decapitate the uh, snake, the head of the snake, and put the game away. Because remember, all they needed against the Rams in L.A. was a field goal. All they needed against Arizona in the second half was a first down. Not any scores, a first down, and they would win the game. And I said to myself, I started doing the math again, and I said, oh, my God, here we go at halftime. And that's before Franco's Italian Army came out with all those guys. I'm saying to myself, man, oh, here we go. Here we go with the game. And then they shut out Pittsburgh in the third quarter. They shut out Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh couldn't do anything in this game. They couldn't get anything going at any time. The Raider defense, bravo. The Raider defense came to play. They were making big plays. And here's Perryman's interception that really was a momentum switch if the Raiders could score coming out of this play. Snap to Pickett. Back to pass. Staring right. Throws left. Intercepted by the Raiders at the 30. Cuts upfield Perryman 40 across midfield. And Denzel Perryman brought down at the Steelers 46-yard line. Pickett threw a duck over the middle of the field. And Perriman, with his second interception of the season, has the Raiders set up in Steelers' territory. In Steelers' territory, first and ten, with no issue with the weather, no issue with the passing game, and the leading rusher in the NFL. Game, set, match. Right there, very important as Bobby fueled the monologue and put it together, brought to you by PTs. Right there, you heard down and distance from Jason Horowitz. Pittsburgh territory, first down, all the momentum, all you need is a field goal. In hindsight, a touchdown wins the game, and the Raiders can't do anything. Can't do anything with some of the best offensive players in all of football, which really hurt. That was another moment in this game. And then the interception train left the tracks led by Derek Carr. The interception started to mount. Here's the second interception of the game. Carr's back in the gun with Jacobs to his left. Snap, car, play action, quick throw, behind Renfro, right into the arms of a Steeler. Minka Fitzpatrick picked it off at the 30 and fell to the turf and tapped down right there. He threw a dart to Renfro, turned around and hit him in the shoulder, right into the arms of Fitzpatrick, and the Steelers have their second interception in as many drives. All right, now that was just a, a bad throw. It was a little bit too hot 
to a good player to the opposite side of him, turned him around, just a bad throw. Derek owned it. Unfortunate. Derek threw that interception there. And Pittsburgh gets another opportunity to start coming back. And then it was Kenny Pickett time, just like it was Baker Mayfield time, Andy Dalton time, Trevor Lawrence time. As it started, you knew. And Coach McDaniel said that. I'm going to play a little of his press conference earlier today. There's only so many times you can give the other team the opportunity to punch back. And then that team is going to be able to punch back and start to make plays. This fourth down play was critical. If the Raiders get the stop, they win the game. Pittsburgh gets the first down. Fourth down and one for Pittsburgh. Out of the timeout. 55 seconds to go. The ball spotted at the Raiders 15. See if they just do the push again like they did before. They send Boykin behind Pickett. He's under center. He sends him behind him. He takes the snap. He gets the push, and he does have the first down on the second effort. They spot him right at the 14, and now Mike Tomlin takes his final timeout. And what was brutal on that play is that they got the stop. They got the stop to win the game. It was the second effort. Kenny Pickett ended up making the play. Kenny Pickett ended up making the play. Kenny Pickett, no debate. Outplayed Derek Carr, multiple pro bowler. Kenny Pickett did, a rookie, in the biggest game of his life. And then on the touchdown is one of the most easy executed routes. It was one of those routes that you run in training camp and there's no defense where the quarterback just has two wide receivers and there's no one there and they run a play into the end zone because there's no one out there on defense. It was that easy for the Steelers to run this route and win the game. Steelers working end zone to our right. Pick it out of the gun. Snap. Back to pass, throwing over the middle. Open receiver, touchdown Pittsburgh. George Pickens headed towards the middle of the end zone and caught it between a pair of Raiders. And for the first time tonight, Las Vegas trails. It's 12-10 Pittsburgh with 46 seconds to go. So that was it. That was the ball game, game over. Uh, The interception to Renfro at the end of the game was really difficult because Renfro was wide open. Wide open over the linebackers in front of the safeties. I went back, I counted like 11 yards. He was wide open. The ball was thrown over his head to lead him. They didn't need to lead him. The ball, Renfro was wide open. He ran a route. They were playing a prevent defense. Renfro would have caught the ball around the 50 easily. No one near him. And then the Raiders could have spiked the ball and they only needed 15 yards to get uh, Carlson out on the field. But that should have, could have, would have, and the Raiders end up losing the game. So that's it. That's, uh, that's the way it ended. I jumped on the post-game show, took some calls. Uh, the key to this season, in the second half of this season, 2022, the Raiders have lost five games where they did not score a touchdown in the second half of the game. The Cardinal game in the second half, three points. The Saints game shut out the entire game. The Jaguars, 17-0 lead, zero points in the second half. The Baker Mayfield game, up 16-3 to with the Rams. The Raiders, well, that, they had 13 points. They scored three in the second half of the Baker Mayfield game. And against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the night they retired Franco Harris's jersey, the Raiders were shut out, shut out in the second half of a game with the season on the line where if they, if they had a field goal or a touchdown, a touchdown, They'd be one game behind the Dolphins as everybody lost, New England, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the thing set up beautifully. And they lost an opportunity to win a game they should have won easily. And I mean that easily. I didn't say, 
a lot of these other games. They had two games they won in overtime against Denver and Seattle, hard-fought games. Charger game, very hard-fought game. Houston, I'm not talking that, but the Raiders have had multiple games this year against far inferior talent where they did not score, they did not put the game away, and they lost these games, and it cost them the playoffs in a year where any of these five games that I mentioned, just take two of them, not four out of five, not five out of five, not three out of five, just two of them, the Raiders are in the playoffs, in my opinion. And that ship has sailed. And it's unfortunate because there's some good players on that team. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was a gut punch again. The, the effort is always tremendous. I always, I always preface that to say, I think the preparation is really good in practice. I've told you that. I think the effort is always outstanding. Okay, there's mental mistakes. Foster Moreau and the, the penalty on the face mask killed that game. But then again, there were so many other players. I just played you a whole bunch. That really hurt on the Josh Jacobs 50-yard run. That would have put the game away. That would have put the game away. Pre-snap penalties, mistakes. Something happens from the practice field to game day execution-wise. Something happens with the plays that are running Henderson during the week brilliantly because if they're not, they run them over and over again. And those plays are not executed in the second half of these ball games with some of the best players in the league who can execute those plays and, and seem not to be able to do it with the game on the line. So all that's got to get cleaned up. All that's going to change. Obviously, we all know there's a lot of change coming up with personnel. We've been talking about that this year. Uh, we still have two more weeks to preview the 49ers, which we will. And we'll preview the Chiefs. We're going to do that. We have an offseason after the Super Bowl. We're going to get into our Super Bowl coverage. Talking about that, there could be some cuts. There could be some decisions made. That's what I call breaking news. We'll cover that when it happens. But that one hurt. That one really hurt because I thought the Raiders were the much better team. And, you know, we spent the whole week talking about the Immaculate Reception, Franco Harris's unexpected death, Phil Villapiano, Raymond Chester came on. It was a big game. And the Raiders treated it like a bad game. They just can't close out teams. They can't put teams to way. I am blown away. I am almost paralyzed to the words that I can't figure out how one of the greatest play callers of all time, a very good quarterback, an elite athletic tight end, a great developing slot receiver, and maybe the best receiver the Raiders have had since Tim Brown, can't move the ball. Can't move the ball with the game on the line. Multiple times. It's not one game. It's like most of the season. They just can't put the opponent away. And it's not for lack of effort. And it's not lack of preparation. What, what gets us all crazy on all this, it's what happens with the execution and what happens there on game day. That's the monologue. Obviously, we want to hear from you. You know, there are times where fans disappear and there are times fans come in. It's the holidays. I know people are traveling. I'd love your opinion on what happened in the game here. Today is all about Pittsburgh and what happened in Pittsburgh, what happened in the game. Of course, on sports radio, who to blame, who not to blame. How do you figure this out? And where do the Raiders go from here? But the big picture Raiders, where we go from here, will be attacked in the offseason. Not here. I'm, not, I'm just not going to pour gasoline on the fire of the quarterback, maybe coming back, maybe not coming back. That's way, way ahead of us. But we can talk about what you believe is the future of this team after so many losses like that. I can guarantee you, in the history of this franchise and moving forward, the Raiders will never lose games like this again. Never. At, 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 with this amount of games can't it's 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 impossible you can't have a season like this again 
You can't. And you, you, you can have an 11-win season or a 10-win season. You end up with eight or seven. You lose on a Hail Mary or something like that. I get that. But you cannot have five games in the second half where you, where you didn't execute to the point of not scoring at all and let the other team come back and win when you had them left for dead. Where is the killer instinct? Where is the ability to finish them off? Where is the dagger with this current football team? Where is it? I don't know. I didn't play the game, but I talked to all the legends who did, and a lot of them are amazed by this. We want the team to win. We're behind the team with the 49ers. The Battle of the Bay, it used to be. We've had some great radio shows and memories with that. But with this, I mean, this one stings. The two game, I didn't think anything could sting more than Kyler Murray. Nothing could. That was the game, the toddler running around with your phone and just going crazy. How could this happen? And then I never thought I'd see anything like the Baker Mayfield game ever. And then I see the Steelers second half. I say, you got to be kidding me. But they're trying, they're trying, and they're trying. It just snake bit, bad luck, bad execution, and the losses continue to mount. Dominic in New Mexico. Thanks for calling, Dominic. What's happening? Oh, nothing much. Just uh, still coming down from this crazy game in a, Pittsburgh. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just frustrating. You can see all of that first possession is just what we expected this team to be in every aspect. And to see that and then, you know, three, three and outs, you know, afterward, it's just, it, it, it's so frustrating. And I, I am a Derek Carr guy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think there's any option better for the team. I don't think there's any, this team. And there's no quarterback that I've ever seen that wants to be as Raider as best. And I'm afraid that he's not going to want to be here. Is my my concern? I I I mean, it's just it's heartbreaking to watch all. Of I mean, it was heartbreaking to watch him after that loss mm-hmm. stand up there and pour his heart and soul to this fan base to tell us how he really feels. And then we have half the fan base that wants to get rid of him, like it always is every year. And it's just it's so frustrating that. Anybody can think that we are going to draft a better quarterback with what draft position we have with the quarterback class this year. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, well, appreciate the call. You said heartbreaking. Derek has said heartbreaking. He used that word uh, multiple times. You just said it on your phone call. It is heartbreaking because this is your team. This is a team you love. You want them to win. We're all pulling in the same direction here. We all want the Raiders to win. This is a flagship. There are plenty of people in this town, Las Vegas, in media who don't want to see the Raiders win. They're not invested with the team. They claim to be journalists. They claim to have, you know, they might have another team which is honest, and they want chaos. They want this team. There are people who didn't want the stadium, people who didn't want the team here, and, you know, this is right up their alley. They like this. It, it, may, it provides for chaos and negativity. Uh, most of the people on this channel want the Raiders to win every game. We're pulling hard for them. We're rooting for them. Everybody, from the coach to the owner, to the players, but it's very frustrating. We got to do our job. We got to cover the team and why they're losing. How did the Raiders get to six and nine when, in a minimum, they should be nine and six? Nine and six would have the Chargers needing a win tonight to tie the Raiders. Does that sound like a homer? No, I just went through every game. They were up big and they collapsed. They didn't need to collapse in those games. They're too good to collapse, but something happens. They find a way to lose. And I go back to the preseason. How many times did Josh McDaniels stand up in front of you, the media, and everybody, and said, we have to find a way not to lose? 
before we can start winning. He said that constantly in training camp in the beginning. We got to learn not to lose before we start to win. What did he know? What did he know that we didn't know? He knew the roster, him and Dave Ziegler. They know who they have to get rid of at the end of the year. They know the contract status. What they were telling us at that time is that their record last year, they, weren't, they didn't say this, I want to put words in their mouth, but that 10 wins last year, they need a miracle. They had to win four in a row. So I think they were as good as their record last year. They were well coached. They did some really good things. But as they looked at the roster and said, we want to get our guys in here eventually, we got to deconstruct this roster eventually because we know some of these guys, Leatherwood, other guys are not going to be good enough to be here. Those are hard decisions, and we got to win. And, and they prepared the team to win. And they were winning a lot of these games. And they were winning some of them easily. And they all fell apart. And that, that changed the whole backdrop of this season, unfortunately. It's one of the wildest seasons I've ever seen since covering sports. I, I'm almost at a loss for words, but I can't be because I get paid to talk. Every loss has a theory to it and a quarterback on the other side who makes plays with the game on the line. The monologue brought to you by Golden Entertainment. Head on out to the Strat over the holiday season, especially where else would you rather be around the Strat than New Year's Eve? This is the flagship of the Raiders. Paul Gutierrez next. Heartbreaks. I just care so much, and you know, when you don't, you know, do your best, you let let your team down, let, let your organization, your fans down. It, it hurts, you know, it breaks your heart. But at the end of the day, nobody cares. You get back up, and you keep going. You know, that's that's how we do it. That's Derek Carr after the game. Derek cares. We all know Derek cares, and Derek has lost. I don't know of a quarterback nine years into the league who's lost games at his level, but also played at such a high level with all the records he has, Raiders all-time leader in passing yards and touchdowns and all the great plays that he's made over his career. There's been a lot of them. There's been a lot of them. And you can tell he really takes it hard because this continues to happen. Paul Gutierrez is going to join us here when Bobby tells me. We'll get up to Paul. He is. He is ready. And we wish Paul Gutierrez a great holiday season and a happy new year. Paul, thank you for all of your appearances this year and into next year. I hope you had a good holiday. How are you? Good, JT. Thanks. And same to you and yours, man. What a, what a long season. What an up and down season roller coaster. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't write a book about this season or last season. And I, and I tried, you know, I tried with Lincoln. <laughs> it's just yeah. the more time you see things and you say, okay, I've seen it all. No, more things happen. So it's, that's what the season's been like. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You took the words out of my mouth. You've wrote a book on this, and you've chronicled this team up close as good as anybody over the decades here. And what I'm seeing now is the inability to put teams away and what happens in the second half. And I think with – I know the preparation that Josh McDaniels puts in with the staff. We know it. You're there. You're at the press conferences. And then just something happens, and it's fair to shine the light on halftime adjustments. It's fair to shed the light on not playing with the sense of putting teams away and all of that. You can't remove that spotlight now because it's happened many times this year in losses. And, and, and it's easy. You know, the, the knee-jerk reaction would be to blame the defense. And, and sure, the defense is actually the unit that gives up the game-winning drives at the very end of games. But at the same time, they're gassed because the offense is giving them no support after halftime. Uh, and, and it's that if you're going to look for one common theme, especially through the second half of the season, that's it. And then you start kind of 
peeling the onion back layer by layer and looking, oh, wait a minute, they, they hired Josh McDaniels because he was supposed to fix the red zone offense. He was supposed to fix the halftime adjustments. He was supposed to do these things. And he had all these star players. Then you look at the individual players, Derek Carr especially. You know, I've always said this, and I'm not the only one to say it, but mm-hmm. quarterbacks get too much credit when things go right, too much of the blame when things go wrong. And when it comes to Derek Carr, it's always been, to me, it's always been this. He's not necessarily the problem. But you have to wonder if he's the answer. And if you have to ask yourself that question, you might actually have a problem. So, again, it's that riddle wrapped inside an enigma and a mystery and all that. And uh, we got two more weeks to go. And guess what? The Raiders are still mathematically alive. And stranger things have happened. But I, I just can't see it happening this year. Yeah, what I'll remember this year from Derek is the degree of difficulties on throws that shouldn't be so difficult. The sideline high balls. That even if Devontae, the best sideline receiver in the league, I mean, he's up there with – D hop and a couple other great guys, but just not attacking the easy routes. Like the Renfro wasn't here most of the year, but the pitch and catch stuff, like the five yard stuff on first down. And then on third down, the degree of difficulty on the sideline to make the play and then throwing it out of bounds and the check downs. I mean, third and 11 around here feels like third and 30. I mean, this is the year I haven't charted every play, but how many times they didn't throw to the sticks on third downs, on manageable third downs? I get third and 25 and third and 30. You just want to inside draw, set up the pun here, but I didn't think it would be this difficult with Devontae more over the middle of the field than all of these acrobatic sideline passes that half the time he has to make a miracle catch. Do you see that? I, I do, and, and it's, it's, it's a theme. And it's not, you know, you, you change the, the, the actors and it's still the same play, so to speak, because you're talking about throwing short of the sticks. I mean, we were complaining about this. or not necessarily complaining. Fans were complaining, but we were observing this and noting it. Uh, even when John Gruden was the coach, when, when Jack Del Rio was the coach, with Derek as the quarterback ever, you know, I'm going to say for the past five, six seasons. And what you're talking about is, is definitely, even the playoff game last year in Cincinnati, J.T., the final play of the game, of the season, of the series, everything that was going on, and the ball was thrown short of the end zone when it was fourth and goal. It's just one of those things where you scratch your head and go, what's really going on here? There's a fine line between putting a guy in a position to make a play and putting him in a position to not succeed. And when you're throwing short of the sticks, it's almost like it's absolving someone of the blame. Like, hey, I tried to make my guy to put my guy in a position to make a play. It just didn't happen. And when it comes to Devontae, the way his production has gone down significantly the past three games is a head-scratcher, whereas Matt Collins' <laughs> targets have gone way up. You know, you try and figure that one out. But then you look at Derek's completion percentage over the past four games. Each one has been under 55%. This is a guy known for his accuracy. And that's mm-hmm. coming off of a game in Seattle when he completed almost 70% of his passes. And then it's 53, 55, 52, 53. It's just something just isn't working and isn't mm-hmm. right. and Nobody's comfortable. Yeah, no one's comfortable. Paul Gutierrez, ESPN, as he tweeted yesterday from ESPN Stats Info, Derek has turned wide receiver Devontae Adams into a ghost the last three games, including two of nine for 15 yards. Uh, Card targeting Adams last three games, nine for 25, 114 yards, four first downs, and zero touchdowns. And that's kind of shocking to me. I said when I opened up all with my monologue when they started off the final drive of the half. It seemed like they were playing for a field goal until Waller and Derek, and that's credit to Derek. He threaded a ball. Waller made the play. They had two timeouts. They call one, and they don't take shots. They Two short passes to Devontae. I don't know why they're not running crossing routes with Devontae and Waller near the back of the end zone. When you have two guys in the end zone, they both can't be double-teamed. 
or triple teamed, and maybe that's when you check down underneath and you get up to the five or four yard line here. But I'm surprised they're not attacking the end zone because you've seen it this year. You and I have talked a lot of those deep balls and highlights when they do the highlight package at the end of the year, they're bombs over the top of coverage where guys were open by two or three yards. Yeah, and they're pretty things. And, and, and again, when Derek Carr is on, I don't know of anybody that really throws a prettier ball than him down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny you talk about the deep crossing routes. The two that come up to mind immediately are, are Hunter Renfro and Devontae running into each other in Kansas City, and also uh, Darren Waller knocking a ball down um, against was against the Patriots. It was that deep to, to Devontae too. So again, it goes back to not really having time on task in real-life game situations. You can practice it. You can do whatever you want. But what's the common denominator there, or the uncommon denominator, I guess, is Devontae. Devontae hasn't had time with Hunter and with Darren in the same offense most of the season. So who's in the wrong place? Who's in the right place? Who doesn't really know? You know, at at a certain point, these guys know each other so well that that it's kind of like ESP, where you know where somebody's going to go. You know how somebody's going to react other than just trying to make a play. And in those two situations, you get the sense that it wasn't somebody was necessarily in the wrong place. It was just they didn't know, oh, okay, I definitely have somebody behind me that can make this play. So those deep crossing routes, again, things of beauty when they work, but when they don't, it's really, ugh, it really rears its ugly head that they're just not a comfort factor with all these pieces. And these are things that should have been worked out in training camp the first month of the season. But when guys are out for a long time, this is what's, what you're going to see. Paul Gutierrez, ESPN, as we wrap it up. So it's a delicate time now, and I don't expect to see Chandler Jones and Perryman. There's no need to. They look like they really suffered injuries in this game. And then I just wonder what the roster will look like. The Niners need every game because they want to go from the three seed to the two seed. I think that's the key for the Niners making a Super Bowl run is getting Brock Purdy two home games instead of one and two on the road. And the Niners want to beat the Raiders. They're coming in with their fans. What do you think the Raider roster is going to look like in this game from the quarterback position with his contract status and injury clause and no trade clause at the end of the year? What do you expect to see Sunday when the Niners come in? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, beyond just the the kind of double take when I saw during special teams and I saw Gutierrez out there uh, on the back of a Raider jersey, Sebastian Gutierrez, the offensive line, like, oh, wait a minute, that, that looks kind of cool. Uh, that was different to see the roster change with the Gutierrez on it. Um, no relation whatsoever, though. But but when it comes to the quarterback, maybe, you know, Josh McDaniels left that door open today when he said they will look at up and down the roster, including every single position. Now, if they were, like, if Miami had won yesterday, mm-hmm. and if the Chargers win tonight, had won, you know, are going to win tonight, and that officially eliminates the Raiders, I think they can get away with uh, justifying. I mean, they could justify however they want, right? But they could justify mm-hmm. saying, you know what? Let's just shut it down and happen. Because what the, 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 the elephant in the room here is regarding Derek Carr's contract. He becomes fully guaranteed for injury. Now, if you keep putting him out there and if that offensive line continues to be leaky and he gets hurt, okay, now you're kind of, quote-unquote, stuck with the contract, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you were really looking to move on from him. I've heard both things throughout the post past month, that they are ready to move on and, and uh, you know go to a, a different plan going forward. And also that, you know what, let's just give him another year and see what happens. A lot of fans, again, the most polarizing player in franchise history to me because, uh, it's, again, we're in year nine and it's a lot of Groundhog Day. What do you do? Maybe maybe it is a situation where a fresh start for both parties is best for both parties. But Derek is also on the record saying that he would rather retire than play for another team. So, again, mm-hmm. these last two weeks have a lot, a lot at stake. And it's not even so much about, wait, they're still alive, they're still alive for the playoffs. No, it's about the future of the franchise and where they go, especially – with the most important position in team sports, quarterback. 
Paul, last one, knowing that Dave Ziegler, I, I got a lot of confidence in Dave. I have confidence in everybody who gets that job, from Mike Mayock to Reggie to everybody who had it before. They're qualified for the job. They, they do their work. They bust their tail to try to get the great players. Dave's got a task in front of him, and I think he's the guy up for the challenge. He's got to retain who he's retaining because he paid a couple of them, Waller and Renfro especially. You just mentioned Derek Steele. Max got paid. And then you look around, Harmon comes from the Patriot tree. He's a decent player. He's probably got something left. Perriman, if he's healthy, would you bring him back for one more? But what they have to do on the offensive line to me is enormous. I mean, Dylan Parham was taken. He stays. Colt Miller is the franchise player. The rest of that line after Leatherwood was released, what they have to do with defensive tackle and what they got to do with corner. I mean, they don't, they don't have a star corner on this team. And I think Hobbs, I'll give him, you know, he's playing through that injury, but I think he's regressed over the last couple of games. There's a lot of spots to fill on this team, but I hope they have all their draft picks. And what do you know with the cap money that they have going into the offseason to get some really good potential free agents? Yeah, and, and that's the one thing that they can always dangle in front of free agents is Nevada has no state income tax. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's your signing bonus, so to speak, right there as well. Um, yeah, and it, it, there's one thing really that I would kind of, you know, press this new regime on was not really addressing the offensive line in the offseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been, it's been solid to standard to a little subpar at times this year. Um, but that was the biggest weakness and it seemed like they didn't really address it. And yeah, they did draft farm with their first ever pick, a third rounder. And he's been a, a solid contributor on the line as a starter. But there are so many. Again, this is a playoff team last year that, you know, a lot of things broke their way and they got in last year to win 10 games. This year, it, it, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It was just the flip side of that. It was like the bizarro Raiders from last year. Um, so there are a lot of things they need to, to address, no doubt. The number one thing, though, is quarterback and then also the running back, Josh Jacobs. And to hear mm-hmm. Josh McDaniels talk about him today, say how much he loved him. He's a guy that should get the ball the most on the team. He does get the ball the most on the team. He set himself up for a pretty nice payday there as well, whether that's uh, tagging him or giving him a long contract. You know, the story I did with him and Marcus Allen a couple of years ago, Josh Jacobs told me himself that, you know, he wasn't really upset when he didn't get the 50 year option picked up because in his mind, he was like, well, I'm just going to get paid sooner. And I'm young. I'm only 24 years old. So mm-hmm. uh, it seems like he's kind of the first guy that they really need to touch on, as well as the, the other guys, the Paramins, the Harmons. Uh, things like that going forward. But, yeah, they, they need to keep that full complement of draft picks and really be surgical with the way they uh, address things this offseason after figuring out Josh Jacobs and Derek Carr. Thank you, Paul. See you Sunday at the stadium. Always appreciate our visits. Thank you. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. You know, it's the job of Paul more so than us radio guys because he's a journalist and covers the team to go figure out and, and get the scoop on who's going to come back or not or what's happening with contracts and all that. I will say again, to credit the Raiders, which it was a tough decision to not give Josh Jacobs that fifth-year option. I wouldn't have. After the year he had last year? No. He w- no, he was not going to get a fifth-year option. That's why they drafted Zamir White out of Georgia. Because Josh Jacobs didn't prove to the new head coach and GM that he was going to have this year. Brian Cashman lowballed Judge. Aaron Judge gave him $225 million. That was their offer. They lowballed him. They should have gave him 300 They paid. They paid. Look at the contract Judge got. He, he risked. He bet on himself. He turned down the contract and played better. Same thing. If we were a year ago today and you asked me, do you pay Josh Jacobs? I say absolutely not because he, hasn't, he didn't have a good year. And the new regime's coming in. We all knew they were evaluating him. Now they got the money to pay him. They obviously have the money to pay him. It's just a question of do they want to use all of that resources and money because they got to spread it on other players to give to Josh Jacobs. 
And we know that Josh Jacobs isn't declining. And there were people on this channel, fans mostly, saying, you know, he's not the same player. You know, guy's averaging you know, less than five yards a carry. He's not explosive anymore. He didn't have a great year. He's nicked up this and that. He proved everyone wrong. I have no problem being wrong. I'm, I, I'm wrong five times a day before breakfast. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. It's admitting that you're wrong and moving on and correcting it. And that's what's going to happen here with Josh Jacobs. But I think reasonable Raider fans did. No one was calling me on this show saying, hey, pick up Josh Jacobs' 50-year deal. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I didn't get one of those calls. We wanted to see how he would play, and he outperformed his contract. Congratulations to Josh. We'll have the Josh Jacobs sound leading off next hour. Hardcore Raider. Thanks for calling in and waiting. Go ahead. Happy New Year. Have Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas, JT. Uh, first of all, uh, the bright spot of the season is Josh Jacobs. Absolutely. I mean, he, he didn't have that great of a game, I think, mostly because the offensive line this last game. But uh, he still leads the NFL in rushing by, I believe, 110 yards. So I think that's a huge bright spot. I mean, uh, you know, he, he did call out the team. Let's just call it like mm-hmm. it is, you know. But it, it needed to be done, you know. And I, I feel that it should be our top leader to do that but it's kind of whatever at this point. But nevertheless, Josh Jacobs is a Raider. He wants to be a Raider. We need to sign him, right? Mm-hmm. With, with some of the people that are, you know, car fans, one side of the coin or whatever, uh, people that have the narrative like, oh, our, you know, if we get rid of them, who are we going to get? And it's just, it's kind of an anomaly to me because it's mm-hmm. like if you have a, uh, a car that keeps breaking down or is average, are you going to keep it? If it's not getting you to work in your transportation, you're going to figure something else out. So, that's all I want to say about that. But real quick here, I just want to I just want to go over some quick stats for Derek Carr. He he leads the uh, NFL in interceptions right now with 14. Okay, um, for touchdowns he's ranked. Um, sorry, I got pulled up. Number 10 for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, for passing yards he has number 11. Okay, for QBR he's at 14. So my point is he's he's about in the middle of the pack and, and mm-hmm. a lot of different like you know as far as stats goes. So. Uh, JT, can the Raiders win? We need a lot of upgrades. We need money to, to get mm-hmm. these upgrades, especially on defense. Can the Raiders win with an average quarterback if we keep Josh Jacobs? That's my question to yeah. you and the rest okay. of, of Raider Nation. Well, first off, I appreciate it. I don't think that Derek's average. I think that Derek's above average. I don't have him in the elite category, and no one else does, who, who does what I do for a living. No one ever had Derek Carr in the elite category. The elite category is Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, those are the elite quarterbacks in this league. Lamar Jackson, an MVP in this league. Okay, the, 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 you got to win an MVP to be named elite. you got to have an MVP patch to be elite. Derek Carr was close to an MVP in 2016. He's above average. This year, he's playing more on the lower than above average, between above average and average. Can you win? Yeah. I saw Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer, and my life, Jeff Hostetler win Super Bowls. Jeff Hostetler for the Giants. You don't have to have Bart Starr, Roger Staubach, Terry Bradshaw to win. Okay, the, the key with me and always with me and Derek, because I always pull for Derek, is could Derek play at the level of Gannon? Gannon had a terrible Super Bowl for a lot of reasons, mainly Barrett Robbins. Mainly Barrett Robbins being down in Mexico, and we wish Barrett well. He had some serious mental issues at that time. But with, with Rich Gannon, who was a journeyman, journeyman, backup quarterback who played with some elite skills as a backup and a starter at times to say, you know, Rich Gannon could be really, really good. Gannon played himself into an MVP quarterback, an AFC championship quarterback, almost the second MVP award, two MVPs in the Pro Bowl when they actually used to play football at the Pro Bowl. Gannon had an incredible career on the back end. 
That's what all Raider fans want to see from Derek. But there's a major difference here. Rich Gannon played behind some of the great non-Hall of Famer, but great offensive linemen in this league. Lincoln Kennedy, Mo Collins, Barrett Robbins. We go through the list of players that they had there. Really, my friend Barry Sims, who played a long time in this league, better than a lot of the guys on the Raider offensive line today. Derek hasn't had that. Derek hasn't had that for most of his career. He's had a couple of good ones, a couple of good offensive linemen, and now he's got Colt Miller. Say to yourself, and it's hard to do, say to yourself how Derek would look behind Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, Dave Dalby, John Vela, Henry Lawrence. What type of career would Derek have? It'd be a lot different than what he's dealing with here, and they got to fix that. Leatherwood was a swing and miss. That was supposed to be the right tackle pro bowler, pro bowler for the future. So there are reasons Derek is not elevating his game up here. But a couple of these second halves, I have no excuse for Derek. He's got to go win these games and close them out.